Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is John Long. He is a former United States Marine turned full-time real estate investor who has an incredible business model he's put together where he's taken the systems and processes that he's put together from being United States Marine and put those into his real estate business and now lives in Colombia and has a full-time team investing in deals remotely in California, Missouri, and Louisiana. I love the information he's given in this episode. I am blown away. He's not popping up in more podcasts. I think he's going to be a huge force to be reckoned with. It was one of the easier conversations I've had, and we could have taken this in 20 or 30 different other directions and probably gotten a whole day of amazing content for you guys. So he's definitely going to be welcome back out and has a huge amount of uh, knowledge and information he can share with you guys. We barely touch the surface or hit the tip of the iceberg with the amount of things that this gentleman can bring. He was nice enough to offer his services for me. I picked his brain a little bit and he's out there helping other people. And so good dude. I consider him a friend now. I consider him a friend of the show. He's a friend of David Perret and Adam Whitney. So if he's good in their book, he's definitely good in my book. And he's a jujitsu practitioner. So what more would you want in an A-game podcast guest than somebody who's crushing it on and off the mats in real estate business and life? He definitely understands people. He understands sales. And what I respect about it is the systems and processes he has put in place to be able to manage successfully a team that works under him while he's literally in a different country. He's able to come in and use a quality of life without over leveraging himself or stressing himself out. You could tell he's got good energy. He's living the life he wants. And he's literally created a good quality of life and a lifestyle by putting those things in place to make sure that he's on top of his business because he's measuring his business. With his KPIs and the systems he's put in place to manage that stuff, he's never in a position where he doesn't know what's happening. So as the market shifts, as his marketing channels shift, he always knows what's going on, what channels are working, what's not working, who's performing, who's not performing, when he needs to adjust his formulas, what he might need to adjust in his markets. And it's a little bit of an adjustment, not a major adjustment. So that all analogy like the cruise ship versus the, the, the jet ski that's something that I think everybody needs to take from this and put into play right now, because that's how you're able to sit there and make sure that you're not letting your business run you, but you're also on top of it responsibly as a business owner to have those things that you can track. So you know, when things are working and not and responsibly and safely pivot with the market, which right now is more relevant than ever. So thank you so much, John, for coming on and sharing multiple things from hiring processes to real estate things wholesaling best practices, why it's a great time to do that, limiting some risk, talking about jujitsu, life, business, hiring, all things real estate, acquisitions, dispositions. I thought this was a great episode. Uh, he did an amazing job, and I, I couldn't be happier to connect with John Lalon. I think he's an A player. And again, always going to be welcome back on this podcast, and uh, hopefully we link up soon, get some drinks, get to watch some fights, get to share some mats, and uh, definitely a guy I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay keeping keep in close contact with. So thank you guys for listening. I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. Definitely check the show notes to link up with John on multiple social media platforms and find ways to connect with him. While you're there, go to nicknickmate.com slash links. 
L-I-N-K-S. And on that set, you can see all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. We are available pretty much everywhere you would get your podcast. So wherever it is that you do, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you like the episodes, please go on and give us a five-star review. That goes a long way with the, with the algorithms to get some sponsors, to make sure we can keep getting the show going, and to really get the show out there more and more because we have great guests and they're coming on and they're giving great info. That's the fee for the show. Just please subscribe to it and follow us on social media. Still on nicknicknick.com slash links. When you're on there, you'll see all the ways to connect with me from Instagram to Facebook to TikTok to Twitter to our YouTube channel. We post clips all the time with these A players that are giving amazing information for you guys to help you save time, make money, and mitigate and limit your risks when you're investing in this. And mitigate and limit your risk when you're investing in real estate. So to have them keep coming on, just please, you guys are scrolling on social media all day anyway. Just like some of the stuff I post, tag our buddy, share it. So that way the guests like John, when I post the clips from this podcast, know, hey, people are listening, people are watching, they appreciate the information I'm giving them, which we do. And last but certainly not least, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets to get a free checklist if you're a real estate agent, wholesaler, or broker to bring more value to your buyers. This whole thing is about real estate, though. I want to do real estate together. Let's make 2023 a year that we do more real estate together. Text me directly, 516-540-5733. That is the best way to get a hold of me right now if you want to discuss a real estate deal. So when people reach out to me and say, hey, listen to the podcast. I want to connect on a real estate deal. It's like, well, you didn't because you didn't text me on this number. You shot me a message on Instagram. I didn't see it for four months. So all you need to do is text me directly, 516-540-5733. Text the word real estate, and then we can decide, do you want to buy a property from me? Do you want to sell a property to me? Or do you want to find a way to partner up on some deals or have a conversation about how we can even work together? And I am all open for that. So reach out to me, subscribe to the podcast, support the podcast, and support the guest, John Lalonde. Great guy. Great interview. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you guys for listening. AK Podcast. Have a great day. All right, my guest today is a five-year Marine recon turned entrepreneurial real estate investor fighting out of Colombia right now by way of California who started a wholesaling business and buying real estate, bought his first property using a VA loan and turned into a lender for a time being who specialized in helping veterans fund their deals through the VA loan. He has become an expert in VA loans and is now a self-proclaimed nomad entrepreneur investing full-time. He's acquired over 85 doors and counting. I believe there's a hotel acquisition somewhere in there we're going to talk about, and he now oh, yeah. runs and founded American Home Acquisitions. He is a wholesaling expert. He's doing his business and running his teams remotely, living in Colombia, investing in California and Missouri. He's a hiring expert a systems and process and scaling expert. We're going to talk all kinds of systems and processes for wholesaling in the real estate business. A friend of Adam Whitney and David Perret, who are good friends of the show, good friends of mine. And the biggest piece here, he is a BJJ practitioner. I see the competitions. He's on those podiums, winning first place, second place, third place. And he is our guest today. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast, John Line, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much, man. That was the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely crushed that. Uh, happy to have you on, Sergio, man. You're an easy I'm man to intro. You're an easy man to intro. I like it. <laughs> I'm excited, man. Let's jump into it. So for people who aren't uh, 100% familiar with you, can you give like a 30,000-foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start it out with the Marine Corps. 2015, I uh, joined the Marine Corps. I actually, you know, it's funny. I got denied the first time that I applied. Like, it was always my goal to be a recon scout sniper. I saw... I saw surviving the cut and I was like, that, that I have to do that. And so um, I applied, 
I got denied because I was terrible in school and I, and I didn't lie to the recruiter like everybody else typically does. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, they, they told me like, hey, go to college, get good grades and then come back. And so, so I did that. Um, I was tenacious. So I, I, I joined the Marine Corps. I got a, an 0321 uh, reconnaissance contract to, to try out for, uh, for Marine Recon. Uh, did that, uh, graduated, I don't know, some, sometime in 2015, 2016, then decided I want to go the, uh, the sniper route and uh, be the, the Bob Lee swagger. So I went to sniper school, um, ended up training, met some really, really awesome people that I'm, that I'm still close friends with. Uh, towards, you know, did a, did a Mew. There wasn't really much going on. Um, did a Mew with, uh, with recon. Came back, had about $30,000 saved up that I was extremely proud of. So what I decided to do was uh, buy a house in California. And then the rest of that, I started a real estate wholesaling business with. And so started out doing uh, some outbound marketing with real estate wholesaling. I lost all of my marketing dollars. My I, I didn't make any money uh, until uh, three months later. I had a deal that ended up closing from from the leads. Just enough to replenish what I put back into the business, um, and then that was uh, that was around like 2019. Um, I ended up, you know, using that money to start my wholesaling business, which is what I have now. Uh, and then, you know, like you had mentioned, I, I, I joined, uh, became a mortgage lender during that time. I, I partnered with the guy that I was also doing wholesaling with, uh, really specialized in VA loans, and helped a lot of veterans get into some, some really good investments that I'm, that I'm hearing about now, have a, a lot of success stories of veterans just crushing it with the VA loan. Um, during that time, saved up a lot of money. It was a really good time to be a lender, really good time to wholesale. Ended up buying a couple of apartments, uh, and bought a hotel, which we could definitely jump into. And then just recently ended up buying both of my business partners out from my wholesaling business. So now it is owned 100% by me. My passion is building systems, processes, and teaching awesome salespeople how to crush it in real estate. So just to sum it up, like that's what I'm passionate about. Um, and then a lowly blue belt on the on the BJJ scale, but out there, out there trying to crush it in competitions and, and earn my way up. That's awesome, man. I, I love so many different pieces of that. It, it's funny. I was just having a conversation. Um, who was I with? Maybe Mark Turner at the BJJ Lab. And we were talking about how, like, I remember when I started and- Oh, it was uh, James. James was over there either way. But we were talking about how, like, when I first started, the, the blue belts, like Fireman mm -hmm. Anthony, shout out to that guy. I was like, man, how can anybody ever beat up a blue belt? Like, they're so good. And then you're like, when you get there, you're like, I don't feel any better. And it's like, the yeah. other guys are still kicking my butt. Like, they got higher belts, but then there's just these new guys on there. But it's amazing, like, when you first set out, just even the difference in that one year of a guy who's been on the mat for, like, a year, year and a half versus somebody new. It's like, it's it's totally a different ball game. Like it's, it's pretty nuts, the learning curve on that. And seeing, starting to see a little bit of the same things in business. So we'll talk about all those things. We'll definitely jump into yeah. jiu-jitsu, but talk a little bit about first, just for the people, because uh, I know we won't go too deep in this, but what are the benefits of a VA loan for somebody listening and interested in that? Oh man, if you have a VA loan, like you're so, you have such a one-up on anybody else to get started in real estate. Obviously the biggest one is that you can go zero down, right? But on top of being able to go zero down, you have great government rates. So, you know, when people are buying these properties like right now, I, I couldn't tell you what, what a rate is like at this very moment. I could just tell you that VA loan rates are typically a little bit lower and there's no mortgage insurance. So like, how does that benefit you other than just being able to buy a house? Well, you know, a lot of people, if they're in the military, you end up buying a house and you get to keep that low interest rate with no mortgage insurance whenever you move. 
So typically, like in most areas, you buy a house with your VA loan, you turn around and you rent it out, like you will be cash flowing and you took $0 out of pocket. Like it, you didn't take, you know, the only thing that you have to pay normally is your closing costs. Now, another cool thing, especially with, with what's going on right now in the market is sellers need to sell their house. You know, the last two years, COVID times two and a quarter interest rates, sellers didn't, you know, they had people banging at their door trying to buy it. Now, a lot of times, if you have a VA loan, you could still negotiate where you come out of pocket $0. So where I, you know, I, I mentioned when I bought my first house, I paid like $12,000 in closing costs. Now you can get into a house with absolutely zero down. The seller can cover all of your closing costs and you lock in a low rate. So that's one benefit. The other benefit that, you know, some people, I think it's getting out there more and more now, especially in the community, is that you can use it multiple times. So let's say you buy a house for $250,000, you have something called entitlement. And so depending on the conforming loan limit for that year, you have entitlement. And let's say, you know, right now it's, uh, I'll just round it to $700,000. I'm not sure exactly what it is uh, this year in, in 2023. I haven't checked. But let's say 700000 If you buy a house for $500,000, you still have $200,000 in entitlement. So you could buy another $200,000 house, zero down. So you could start building your portfolio just with your VA loan alone. So it's, it's just an awesome tool. Not a lot of people, you know, most people have to do the FHA loan three and a half percent down or conventional 5% down. Then they have the mortgage insurance. It's it just, you, you have such a leg up if you have it. That's awesome stuff, man. So transitioning now to, to what a little bit more your bread and butter is. I know you're, you're an acquisition specialist. We, we mm -hmm. talked a little bit. Your, your call was awesome. I appreciate you being so generous with your time and helping me out. But mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what your business model is now with wholesaling. Like, why did you decide to focus on wholesaling? And, and what is it, just a, an essence of it for people who are still a little bit confused about yeah. what wholesaling exactly is? Yeah, absolutely. So just to, to, to summarize what wholesaling is, what I will do is I'll run ads that say that I can buy a house fast for cash. Seller wants to sell a house to me for $100,000, right? Now I find an investor that might want to buy that house for $120,000. Now, typically that type of house would be worth, you know, $180,000 or $200,000. So the investor is still getting a great deal and the seller, you know, gets what they want. They get, they get a fast close, right? So what I get is the difference between the purchase price that I buy the property from and then the purchase price that I sell the property from. So there's a couple of different reasons that I really love wholesaling specifically. And I think that it's really lucrative to a lot of people. And then, and then I'll, I'll talk about that and I'll scare people away from it. The reason I love it is because I get first pick on all of my deals. And then I also get to practice sales on both ends. So I'm going directly to sellers and I'm, I'm running a sales team that their entire goal is just to figure out what does this seller really need? Like, what is the pain point that they're struggling with? Because I always tell, you know, my front end sales team, which is the, the people that are buying the houses, we sell cash in your pocket quickly in exchange for equity in your home. That's all we do. So if someone needs cash in their pocket quickly and they're willing to exchange equity in their home, we can help them. If they don't need that, typically there's not really much that we can do for them. So we just tell them, hey, you might be better off just going with a real estate agent. So as far as being able to, to help people with that, I really love that aspect of it. And as well as being able to get first pick on every deal that comes across, because I can also buy these properties as well. Like I just picked up a property, you know, it's with, uh, from a, a seller that 
at a VA loan, I'm buying at zero down. I'm getting a two and a half percent rate. Property is the mortgage that I'm taking over is $1,300. And then the rent is going to be $2,600. Like that kind of opportunity doesn't typically come across on the open market. So that's what I love about, about wholesaling. And that's kind of what wholesaling is. All it is, is doing marketing to typically distressed sellers and then matching that property up with an investor that's going to buy it at a higher price, you get paid on the difference. I love that. That's very well said. I like all those analogies. So one of the things that I love that I think is a, a great model right now that I'm trying to transition more into as well is like you said, you, you pick the best and you wholesale the rest. So when you get first crack at that, you get first yeah. screening. And, and what I tell a lot of people is just because it's not a deal to you, doesn't mean it's not a deal to somebody else. So, right. so many people go, well, that doesn't fit my buy box. I'm going to get rid of it. And that's kind of how I accidentally built my model was I look at something and I'm like, well, I, I don't want this, but actually somebody asked me for something like this last week. And instead of me just saying, I'm not interested or giving it back to a realtor or to the other wholesale, I can sell it to somebody and maybe make five, 10 grand that I wouldn't made nothing on because you know, that right. maybe I wasn't looking for something in that area or with that, whatever it might be. So I really like that model of going through and kind of getting your first scrub and you can cherry pick your best ones and still monetize some of those other ones. So right, right now, is there a benefit to wholesaling in this transitioning market? There's a huge benefit. And, and here's, I, I'll hit two points of this. The first point is investors are always going to be buying. Smart investors always buy. Like look at what Uncle Warren says, right? <laughs> you just, it's time in the market. So the investors are always going to be buying. What we're seeing now is sellers actually in distress, right? Whereas the last two years, there was there were all these laws to protect sellers that you know were behind on their mortgage. So it's seller, and then on top of that, people were just banging at the doors to get into their property and buy it. Now, sellers actually need people like you and I, Nick, people that will buy their property for cash, get money in their pocket, because if there aren't people like us, the bank takes their home. And then when the bank takes their home, the bank's going to turn around and sell it. And, and the bank's going to be hurting. And that just hurts the entire economy. So in this transitioning market, this is the best time to do real estate wholesaling or just any off-market marketing. The other piece to that is that we have homeowners that bought properties in the last two years at two and a quarter percent, two and three quarters, three, 3.25%, right? As investors, we can take over those mortgages, even if there's no equity in the house. It doesn't matter. The house that I'm buying that I just bought last week doesn't have any equity in it. And I'm okay with that because I'm going to cash flow, you know, $500 a month conservatively after all of my expenses. So this is a great time, if, especially if you can learn creative financing, you can learn subject two, which I'd be happy to talk on, on either of those subjects. If you can learn those strategies, you're legitimately helping sellers that need help. A lot of people are like, well, why don't they just list it on the market? They can't. They don't have enough equity. They bought the house for $100,000 last year. If they sell it for $100,000, first of all, now they just lost 8%. So they're the, the most, I mean, they're, they're going to walk away with $9,200. If they bought it with an FHA loan, 3.5% down, they're underwater the second they buy that property. The second they buy that property, because you, you're 3.5% down, your, your selling closing costs are 8%, 6 to 
You know what I mean? So, yeah. so this is a great opportunity for people like us that know how to help those people to get into cash flowing properties with zero down and help the seller. It's a win-win scenario, which didn't really exist as much last year. That's incredible. So we, we touched on something I wasn't planning on talking about, but I think it's a great topic. We talked about subject two basically here. So one of the things I always talk about is you, you know, we don't buy properties from people that want to sell. We buy properties from people that need to sell. There has to be right. some sort of distress there. And mm -hmm. when you can get a property at a discount, you can do so many different things with it to make money. Wholesaling mm -hmm. would be a strategy of like, okay, instead of me just taking it down, but the principles of, of buying real estate at a discount are always going to benefit you. There's always somebody looking for a, a deal. I don't care what's happening in the market. Right. Some people might be flexible, like you said, on price, but other ones also might be flexible on terms, which would be a subject too. So talking a little bit about that, if you can give a quick snapshot on it, I know like we've talked about a little bit here, but I like that strategy, but what mm -hmm. you just mentioned is is something I go back and forth with with getting a subject to that cash flows, but you don't have any equity in it. My concern yeah. or the the rebuttal of that would be, but what if they call the due on sale clause due and you don't have any equity now to come in and refi or come in and sell it and be able to get out of that? You know, that's one of the main concerns I see with that strategy, but I do love that strategy because to your point, yeah, it's literally like buying a property in a time machine for somebody two or three years ago. They got something like, oh, I'm kicking myself that rates are seven, eight percent now. I wish I bought it at two, two and a half, three, three and a half. Like you can do that with the right. subject, too, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, and there are people that specialize like specifically, you know, Pace Morby. I know David Perret is teaching subdue where they have insurance for that exact scenario. So, so there are people are people are realizing that this is becoming more and more popular. So there are clauses that you can put in your contract that protect you from that. There's insurance. I wouldn't consider myself like a subject to expert, but that's a good. There are ways that you can protect yourself in case you know bank calls the note due immediately and then you need to sell. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you know with these with these really low rates. Let's say that you aren't you don't have any equity you know right away. One, we do know that the market eventually will come back. Over time, eventually it will come back. But two, if you look at an amortization schedule with a two and a quarter rate, the amount of principal you're paying down is so much higher than if you start with like an 8% rate. So the principal pay down alone, like the debt is worth something, especially when we see inflation at, you know, eight, eight and a half percent, whatever, whatever it's, it's recorded at. It's it, the debt alone is worth something. Like I, I want to hold on to good debt. Debt at two and a half percent is worth something to me. So there's a couple of reasons why you would buy man, other than just having the cash flow, the debt alone is is nice to have. Like there's a benefit to that as well. I love that. And again, I'm a big, I'm a big uh believer in that strategy. We bought one out here that's just doing doing great. And I I think that that's a huge thing going into this market. And just like you said, building up wealth, if you can lock in long-term low interest debt in somebody else's name, I mean that's 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 pretty freaking appealing to pretty much everybody. Right. So I do love that strategy now. Mm -hmm. And just, and I mean, don't go buy all of your properties that have zero equity if you don't have any <laughs> cash in your bank. Like, I don't want people to get mixed up with that. That's not a smart strategy. But, you know, if you pick up, you, you know, one out of every four of your properties is just, you know, breaking even, it doesn't have any equity. And, and you can, and you've got reserves in your bank to where if, if the worst case scenario, you did have to sell that property quickly, then you could go ahead and do that. The other thing you could always do is just, you know, if, if you ever needed to, you can also assign subject to agreements, which a lot of people don't realize. 
So like I, I went like, I will buy property sub two, but also keep an assignment clause. You could just assign that agreement over and, and have an end buyer end up paying you out as well. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've done that on lease options before where you basically nice. negotiate it and then you just wholesale it out, make a quick five, 10 grand. And then the other two go and they take it away. That's pretty cool. Boom. Yep. In and out. Nice, man. I love that. So now back to, to acquisitions. So you're you're a marketing expert, in my opinion. I, I was very impressed with your knowledge of what you do and, and how you keep all that stuff. So for marketing strategies, we talked a little bit on inbound versus outbound and the different yeah. ways to acquire deals. So on the acquisition sides, for people who are listening, that's you got to buy the property. You got to acquire the property. And then mm -hmm. what are you doing to exit it or dispo it to get paid? Your basic disposition strategy is wholesaling. But for the acquisition side of it, which to me is, I mean, I guess it depends on whatever. If you don't have a deal, the acquisition side is important. If you have it, the disposition. But either way, the acquisition side, it's a, it's a huge piece of there. It's 50% right. of the game, if not more. Talk yeah. a little bit about your preferred acquisition strategies, inbound versus outbound, kind of what the options are and what mm -hmm. you're working on today and why. Yeah, so just to, to give a definition behind inbound and outbound, Basically, outbound would be anything that you're reaching out to the seller. So SMS and cold calling are, are the two primary sources of, of outbound marketing. And I've done both of those on a, on a high level. And so inbound would be anything where the seller's reaching out to you. The one that gets kind of tricky is direct mail because I consider that inbound, even though you're throwing out mailers. Um, I still consider that inbound because they're giving you a call. It does put you at a leg up. But what I prefer to focus on is Google AdWords, PPC, paper lead, anywhere where people are searching in that they need to sell their house. I want to work with those people. Now, I'll talk about the benefits of both. When you're doing SMS and cold call, you can expect your cost per lead to be much lower. Anywhere between, on average, I would say anywhere between like $40 and $80 a lead. And what you consider a lead is someone that said that they have a house that they are interested in selling. That's what I, that's what I would consider just a basic lead, right? Whereas on a pay-per-click, pay-per-lead, I typically don't see leads coming in under $100. I would say depending on, I mean, it's very market specific. So the more competitive your market, the more expensive the leads are, are, are going to be. And it doesn't have to do with price point. It has to do with competition. So for example, Dallas-Fort Worth, the leads are extremely expensive, even more expensive most of the time than, than Los Angeles, where the houses are much more expensive, right? It has to do with the competition in the area. Who's bidding on the keywords? How many competitors do you have in that specific market? Now, what I tell my sales team and what I tell a lot of people getting started is the harder it is, the more effort required for a seller to reach you, the more motivated they are to sell most of the time, right? So the example that I give is if you just had an office, right? You had a physical location office that someone had to drive to, get out of their car, walk in, and then fill out a form, a paper form, and then hand it over to you that they need to sell their house fast for cash. That's going to be a much more motivated lead than someone that clicked on an ad on their phone, right? Now, if there's a moat in front of that building and a wobbly bridge with alligators under it, and they have to walk across that, the seller's even more motivated, right? So the reason I bring that example up is when someone has to go online and they have to fill out a, something that says they need to sell their house, they are going to be way more likely to sell than someone that's watching TV and they get an, a text on their phone that says, do you want to sell your house? And they have to just say, yes, right? So I just decided to switch all of my marketing from outbound over to inbound. Now, the cons to that is if you don't have a dialed in sales team, 
for your inbound leads, you will burn through burn through leads, you will burn through money, you will burn through your budget really quickly. So if you're just starting out, it makes more sense to me to start doing outbound marketing, doing cold calling, doing SMS. I feel like that actually makes more sense. So you can get some practice, you can work all of those leads, you can build the reps, and you're not worrying about spending you know, $10,000, $15,000 on leads. You can get the same amount of leads for much, much cheaper. If you have a dialed in sales team, a really dialed in sales team that will get all to all of the leads in the first three minutes, because that's what's the most important with inbound leads is, you, is speed to lead. If someone received a text, it's not really that important that you get to them, you know, within the first three minutes, they're probably going to be, you know, responding to a text anyway. When someone just filled out a web form, they're thinking about it. Sometimes they're drunk and they're just realizing how <laughs> bad their life is. And so you want to get on the phone with them when they realize man, I need to make some changes. I need to make some changes in my life. At that point, they are motivated to sell. They filled out a web form online. They, they filled out something. They clicked on some sort of ad that made them interested in selling their house fast for cash, right? So having a dialed in sales team, when you get to that point to where you know your sales team's dialed, you know you can compete with other people with speed to lead because the people that are spending 30, 40, 50, $100,000 on marketing, they have sales teams that are going to call those leads in the first three minutes that that web form gets filled out. Like I'm, while we're on this podcast, I hear my, my computer in the background dinging that leads are coming in and then someone's claiming them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's within seconds and that's something that I'm monitoring. So, um, just to t that's kind of like my brief summary on outbound and inbound marketing, like when you should do outbound and when you should do inbound, when you can afford to do inbound and you have a dialed in sales team, like your business will, it will do better, but you need to have those systems in place first. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. So it's a lot of interesting things there, and I agree with all of it, and I think it all works, and there's a time and a place for, for each of those. When you're – I've – I've heard you talk about data. So like, let's say you have a certain amount of data in your system. What's your opinion right now? If somebody is going and they're doing outbound mm -hmm. for going and pulling new lists right now versus just going and recycling through maybe some of the old leads that have been in there for months or years and kind of going yeah. through that because I, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of both and I do a little bit of both, but you know, yeah. I, in, in the, in the market climate we're in, it's very interesting to me to get people's opinions on what they think is a better strategy. Like right now in this market in the beginning of 2023. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right now in this market specifically, I would be hitting uh, pre-foreclosures. Like pre-foreclosures are going to be your best performing list. Now, the thing with pre-foreclosures is a lot of people are going to be pulling those lists. So you need to be like, if you could be the person that gets the pre-foreclosure the second it hits the record, you are going to do better. So I would, I, if doing outbound marketing, 
it's important to have enough data to keep your team busy. So you need to have the old data, right? The high equity, the whatever it is. What, what I would do with my team is I would tier my data. So I would have tiered one data being free foreclosures, probate, um, uh, tax defaults, you know, code violations, like anything that like says distress. I'm gonna have that as tier one data. We're cycling through that data as much as possible. So my cold callers are calling that data every single, single day, right? And when they burn through all of those lists, because you can't have an infinite amount of pre-foreclosures, even no matter what market, I mean, maybe if you're nationwide, but you're, they're burning through those lists pretty quickly. They need to have something in the background that like your high equity, your absentee owners and everything like that for cold calling. And then for SMS, there's regulations around how much you can actually text people. So we'll text those pre-foreclosure lists code violation list, probate list. We'll text those as frequently as possible. And then we'll cycle in our, our absentee owners or out-of-state absentee. We'll cycle those in you know, as they come, whenever they run out of those. So that's the strategy that I like to do with outbound marketing. But if you're not taking advantage of niche lists, like you're missing out, like don't, do not just pull high equity. You have to think about like, you know, the target that you're actually hitting, the chances of someone that just has equity in their home wanting to sell are a lot lower than somebody that is behind on their mortgage payment, right? And and someone's knocking at the door that they're about to lose the house. Yeah, I see a lot of people love the high equity list. And, and I, I get why, because it could be a potential for like a good terms deal. But overall, like the motivation on there you're seeing is generally a lot less unless it's a stack lead that they happen to be on a distress list and on a high equity list. Right. I'm surprised that so many, cause, and there's tons of them because the market's just done so good. So it's like, yeah, I just pulled like a hundred thousand high equity lists. It's like, yeah, but how many of those do you have to burn right. through like of just that list to get somebody motivated on there? And you mentioned uh, Adam Whitney, Adam Whitney gave a fantastic presentation on return on time which no one is speaking about right now on the invest on, at least from, from real estate wholesalers. Like you don't, you, you hear them talking about return on ad spend, you know, return on investment, but you don't hear as many people talking about return on time. So how much time are you spending training your sales team to talk to these people that are, that are just not really interested in selling because all they have is high equity and they just received the text that says they would sell if the right offer came. You know what I mean? Where you could be spending your time working on people that are actually motivated to sell and just hitting those pre-foreclosures, training your sales team on how to have conversations with people that are in pre-foreclosures, right? Like that is a, like the, the more you can focus on something like that, I believe the better, the more successful you'll be. I love that. So uh, one of the things you also mentioned, I got to have back on, and actually talk about that. I got to reach out to Adam. Great guy. Um, yeah. I think I heard you recently. I don't know if you're still doing this, but in a prior interview, you talked about how you've pulled back on direct mail. Is there mm -hmm. a specific reason why you're not a big direct mail proponent right now? Mainly for the same reason that I mentioned with outbound, like I want people to have to work to get to me. It, I, they're, and, they're, and the reason is, is because I know my sales team will convert people that need to sell. So what happens when you have a seller that, need, that wants to sell their property is they give you a call and they say, um, you know, yeah, like I want to sell. I don't need to sell. I don't have any, I don't need to sell no matter what they have. Like I'm telling you, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of of a house that um, we just, we just, I, I bought two nights ago. So it's, or it's Wednesday today, I believe. Yeah. So Monday, Monday night, <laughs> Monday night, we have a seller call in and, and I'm, I'll talk about like the layers behind, uh, behind the sales call. We have a seller call in. She's like, yeah, I just, you know, I want to see what my options are. I, I, I don't really know. Um, 
we ended up locking the property up. It's a, it's about a $625,000 property. We ended up locking that up for 450. It needs zero work. Okay. The next day she calls my acquisitions manager and says that she got evicted from the house. Um, she like, she literally got in the, an, an eviction. So I hop on the phone with her and I'm like, Hey, where are you? Like, where, where are you going? And you know, this is a lady that said like, ah, she was just looking at her options first. Obviously we got the property at a discount. She's like, I'm looking for a place to stay. I, I don't have anywhere to go. And I hear her on, I literally hear her at a hotel and she's trying to book this. She's trying to, to book a hotel, but she finds out it's $800. She's in Southern California. She's in Temecula. So she's like, it's $800 for four nights. So I said, like, listen, do you have money to, to stay at a hotel? She goes, I have a hundred dollars in my bank account. And I, I can only stay, I can afford a hotel for one night. So, you know, I, I just say, hang tight. I'm going to, I'm going to book you a hotel. You're going to stay in there. She's at a hotel that I'm paying for right now. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in a hotel and then we'll figure it out from here. Like, I'll be able to, I'll be able to sell this house and get you some money in your pocket quickly. So that way, you know, you could start your new life. Imagine if she called and then just said, Hey, I only have a hundred dollars and I'm going to be, I'm going to. I'm going to be kicked out of my house tomorrow, right? You have to get to that level of being able to do that, right? That takes a very skilled salesperson to be able to get to that level. I, my acquisitions guy probably could have locked it up even at a steeper discount if he would have been able to get to that level. The reason that I, that I bring that story up specifically is because I don't want the people that are going to be calling that are just saying like, well, you guys reached out to me. You said you wanted to buy the house. Like, when I know that when they fill out a web form, there is something there, I just need to get to it. So I just need to be able to train my salespeople to get to what is that underlying pain point. If I can get to that, I know exactly what I need to do to be able to help them and I can close more deals. So the more, the, the more difficult it is for people to be able to reach, reach me, the more I know that there is some sort of pain point and I just need to be able to find out what it is and solve that problem. That's so true in so many aspects. And I think not enough people focus on that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. they call, they want to sell, but digging to that a little bit, I think is like you said, a skill in itself and being patient and being an active listener, I think is just a huge piece right there. So that, that was, that was gold right there for anybody listening that doesn't understand the difference. Why two people could be in the same exact market, doing the same exact things, getting on the same exact phone calls. And one of them either gets the deal and, and the other one doesn't, or one of them gets a much better deal and the other one does it. It's because of that exact thing you just talked about, man. That is gold right there, sir. Thank you for sharing that story. And you nailed it, man. Active listening. Like that's what it is. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I train my sales guys on a script, but it all comes down to like active listening. Like what did they say? And what does that mean? And how did they say it, right? So like, I, I can give one more example and you can stop me whenever you want because I'll talk about <laughs> sale, sales all day. Um, I had a, you know, I had a, a, a seller call in and uh, this was actually a follow-up. So this lady had filled out our web form like a year ago. And so I have a lead manager who's, uh, who, who, who just goes in and she just calls all of the old leads that, you know, we haven't been able to get in touch with. And this seller says, and, and at some point in the call, I was praying yesterday and, you know, I think that you guys might just be the answer to my prayers. Like she said that in the call and, and then she proceeded to say that she doesn't want to sell the property. Like, she's like, I don't want to sell. I'm not motivated. I'll just listen on them. I'll sell it myself for sale by owner. And so my, my appointment setter, uh, the, the lead manager that I have didn't push the appointment. So when I'm going through on my next, on my call reviews, 
I go through and I listen and I hear the, sh it's like the, the, you know, when someone's sighing, when they're talking, right. You can hear stress in their voice. Their chest is tight. Like these are nonverbal cues. Uh, I guess they're, that would technically be verbal, but like, these are the things that we need to pick up on as salespeople that are trying to help other people. Like if someone sounds like they're stressed, they probably are stressed. Right. So like, it's what they're saying is one part of it and then how they're saying it. And the only way you really know that is if you're really, like you said, active listening, the active listening is the biggest part of the, of the entire sales process. I love that, man. So I definitely want to dig deeper into systems and processes because that's probably my biggest weakness is I do stuff, but I don't systematize them enough. I suck at KPIs. I need to get better at that type of stuff. I understand the ins and outs of certain things, but for dispositions, before we dig into that, I know mm -hmm. in the market, like the way we're changing, the buy boxes have somewhat adjusted a little bit for how people are dispoing. So what's your disposition strategy now? You got a deal, you have it under mm -hmm. contract. The lady gives you the property under contract. You put her in a hotel. Now you have to sell it to another investor. What are some yeah. of your, uh, your top dispo strategies? Yeah, so I'm actually doing two different things right now. So one thing that I'll do is I will just actually have one of my agents, depending on, on the time frame. So I always, tell the, I always tell the seller, hey, if you can give me a little bit more time, you know, this works really well for, for sellers that um, maybe they want like the most for the property, they still, you know, but the property will only sell to an investor. And so I'll say, if you can give me a little bit more time and give me access to the property, I can get you more money for the property. And what I'll do at that point is I'll turn around and I'll give that contract to a real estate agent and have them put it on the MLS. So every investor and their mother can actually see it. Now, an investor is still going to need to buy it. The seller still doesn't have to lift a finger. They don't need to go come to the property, clean it out, do anything like that. There's still a lot of benefits for the seller in order to do that. And then I, I'm able to market it to every single investor. Every, every investor has access to the MLS and then their agents are also sending them in deals. So that's one way that I'm, that I'm closing deals. Not everybody can do that. For example, the lady that needs to close in seven days. So the thing that people did last year and the year before, and you know, Steve Trang talks about this a lot, like <laughs> wholesalers were more like order takers. They didn't have to be good at sales. They would just throw up, uh, and I did, you know, I did this. I stumbled over deals for the last two years where I was barely working in my business because all we had to do is post the, the address in a Facebook group and we'd have hundreds of people paying almost market value for a property, right? That's not the case anymore. So you need to treat your buyers the same way that you treat your sellers. You need to be, so where we used to just push out an email and then we would just field phone calls. Now we push out an email every single day. We're marketing the properties. And then we SMS 7,500 people that I have on my buyers list. We send all of them a text every other day. And I would do it more if it didn't cost me so much to do those SMS. <laughs> but but we, are, we are marketing, marketing these properties. And that's something people are like, oh, I'm marketing the property. I'm, I'm posting it in Facebook. No, marketing is being in front of people at a, you know, on, a, on a consistent basis. And so some of these people will see that, you know, they might see it and they're like, oh, that might be a good property. And then they get a phone call and then they don't underwrite it, right? Throw it in front of them again, right? Call all of your top buyers. Another thing that I'm doing as well is uh, I'll pull, like I just, I just bought a property and I, it, it's a tough one to dispo because it's a $2.6 million property in, in, on Balboa Island in Newport Beach, right? Very specific investor. So who worked with those investors? Well, I don't know. Let me find out who sold properties on that island before. So I pulled up all of the last sales in the last 365 days, all of the last sales that were listed. And then I called all of the realtors myself 
and said, hey, I saw that you sold a property on Balboa Island, you know, a duplex really similar to this one. My guess is whoever, you know, when, when you listed that property, other investors probably gave you a call and said, hey, I'm interested in buying this property, right? But for some reason, they didn't get it. And so now I have an opportunity for them that's discounted. It's, all, it's under market value. So that's another strategy that I'm doing to actually dispo deals. It's really important to treat your dispositions just like your acquisitions. It's consistency. It's staying in front of your, in front of your buyers. And then another thing is, well, a lot of people will kind of mess this up. Like, be a really good person with your buyers. The buyers want to work with good people. They don't want to work with, like, there's a reason why, I'm going to not say the name. There's a really big wholesale company that's like nationwide and nobody works with them because they know that, that they're all money focused, right? Like I, I would, I will go out of my way to just be as transparent and like overly transparent with the people that are buying these properties. So they know that I'm an honest guy. I'm going to tell them every single thing I know that's wrong about the property, what could go wrong. Even if the seller is trying to sell me the property, I will almost scare them away. Hey, these are everything that I think, this is everything that I think could go wrong with the property. That goes a longer way than trying to sneak a buyer into a property that's going to later go and bite them in the ass. And then your reputation is just slaughtered. So those are a couple of like key things that I've really been focusing on with dispositions. That's great. So backtracking on that a little bit, when you talked about now having to have a little bit more of a cost involved to dispo that out through SMS or maybe to put a realtor on there, are mm -hmm. you changing your acquisition buy box or whatever your formulas are to account for maybe a 6% fee or whatever extra cost you might have for marketing that? You know, not, not so much. I, you know, when the market started shifting, I went back and I, and I did adjust kind of all of my acquisitions. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, I was doing 80%. Now I'm doing 70%, right? Like it's, I, I did kind of adjust that back months ago. Um, however, when it comes to like, if, if I, if I can lock the property up and put it on the MLS, like the spread will be enough to pay out the agents and everything like that. Uh, and also when agents bring me deals, I pay them a consulting fee. So this is something that I do is I'll call agents and I'll say, Hey, this is how it works with me. When you work, when you work with me and you bring your own investor. You tell me what your offer is and what you want to make on the price. So let's say I have a property that's listed for a uh, million dollars, just to, to make it simple. And, you know, she wants to make, the agent wants to make $20,000. I just say, turn around, sell it to your investor for a million 20. If you could sell it to your investor for a million 20, and I know I need to make a million, I get a million. And then I, I send over an agreement to the agent that says, at successful closing of 123 Main Street, I am going to pay ABC Realtor $20,000 in the form of a consulting fee. I get that signed first. So they know I'm not just going to go straight to their buyer and snake them out of the deal. They're comfortable with it. I get that signed first. I send it over to escrow and then I send a purchase agreement directly to that buyer. And so that's how I'm able to utilize real estate agents to bring me deals. And that has been a really great strategy. I've been able to sell properties that I normally wouldn't have thought would have moved just by using that strategy. Cause now I got, I have other people working for me that I'm not paying. They're not on my payroll. And I love that. That's awesome, man. So like a collect your own fee type of deal. I think that that's very smart. Exactly. I've awesome. had agents that make, I've, I've had an agent pay herself $115,000 before. So good honor. She sold it. She's yeah, a salesman. That's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. So now when we, when we dig into like your bread and butter of systems and processes, talk about what systems and processes you put in place for somebody that's looking to scale their wholesaling business um, yeah. from not only the systems and processes, but the people as far as onboarding and ongoing training. 
Okay. Yeah. No. So I do uh, with my, I'll start out with just the onboarding and ongoing training. When I, what I do is I do a 30 minute sales, like a, like a morning meeting where we actually do drills. So for 30 minutes every day, I have my entire sales team hop on and we drill objection handling. We drill uh, intros, we drill tonality, every single part. So we'll focus on one part of the script and we'll just do drills. What happens when someone does this? What happens when someone says this? And I'm not really big on like objection handling. I think that's like old school sales techniques, but what did you say to give, to, what did you say in the beginning of the call that made someone come up with that objection? So that's what I drill in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I do another 30 minute where I go over anything that I saw on the pipeline, like specifically because a lot of people will just teach sales, but they don't realize that sales is, is probably 60% of you know how good you are at selling on the phone the other 40 percent is how good are you at managing your actual pipeline managing the crm getting in front of the right people at the right time calling people back when you say you're going to call them back uh, and this is the part that the reason that i focus 50 percent of the time on this is because a lot of times like my killer salespeople, they know how to close but they suck Salespeople naturally suck at being organized so i have to come up and clean it up behind them so I'll go over that every single day and every single day I will find something. Hey guys, I saw that, you know, there's these tasks that, that, that haven't been completed. Uh, this lead didn't, you know, this lead didn't have a task assigned to it with a clear next step to move forward. Like what can we do to make this process even easier? So I do two sales calls every single day morning. I drill, I drill the actual sales process. The evening I go over uh, systems and processes like pipeline management. And so as far as ongoing training, like that's what I do. Now we can talk about like the actual systems of, of running a sales team um, and how to make sure that, that they're getting the most bang for their buck as well. So what I do is, you know, I do all my, all my leads are, are inbound. And so I wanna make sure that everyone on my sales team has an equal opportunity to get to, to touch that lead the second it comes in. Because if Joe's on the phone, I want Rich to be able to, to, to pick it up and, and, and answer. I would rather someone get to the lead in the first 30 seconds, even if it's not my best trained salesperson, I'd rather someone just get to it and just get, get the basic information and book, a, book an appointment for my closer. So that's like the number one most important thing is when you have a sales team, make sure that they are getting like speed to lead is going to be the most important thing. So that's the first thing that I have where when a lead comes in, everyone on my team gets a text notification and email notification, and they all have it. It, all, it like when someone calls, it rings on their computer and their cell phone. So like the most important thing, if you could do nothing else, just answer the freaking phone as soon as it comes in. Like that's the, that's like the most important thing. Now, after that, let's say you do get in touch with them. You need to have processes for, you know, one times that they don't answer the, the follow-up call, right? Like you, you have an appointment, they don't answer. That needs to be a combination of a process where there's live humans actually giving them a call and using tech to your advantage to follow up with those people, right? Like you can't, like you, you have to do both. If you're just sending up drip campaigns, you're probably not gonna be that successful. If you're just calling them, things are gonna slip through the cracks. Sometimes you're gonna get busy, your pipeline blows up. You need to have automated techs. So, what I do is as soon as someone calls in, right, let's say I get a lead, we try to call them, they don't answer. First of all, I triple dial them. I'll triple dial them in the morning. And then I change my number. I have the, I have the ability through Ari Simply and I'll spout them out because I love Ari Simply. I love Gerard. He's built a fantastic CRM. 
I'll change my number and I'll call them again at lunch. And then I'll change my number and I'll call them again in the afternoon. And so they, it's, you know, some people are like afraid to triple dial because they're like, oh, I'm bothering this person. No, they just think they're getting called from three different companies, right? And so like people aren't answering like, what? It's just like, oh, I'm sorry, this is the first time I've called you. So triple dialing every day for the first seven days. And on top of that, they're getting uh, put on an automated drip campaign that's sending them a text message that says, you know, hey, I saw you filled out our web form online by your property on 123 Main Street. It does two texts the first day, two texts the second day. Then it starts just doing daily texts. And it, it, it goes all the way into, a, into the, the next six months of just sending them a text. Eventually, it slows down to just once a month. Um, but, and I'll put some like ridiculous stuff in there that a lot of people aren't doing. Um, so I'll, I'll send memes. Like, yeah. I'll send memes to seller. Like people are like, that's not professional. Like it doesn't matter. You're just trying to get them to answer the phone. Once they answer the phone, you can have a conversation with them and you can, and you're a human, like just send them a, so I'll send them like, uh, I actually picked this up from, uh, from my sales coach. I, I take a lot of uh, sales training from, from uh, Jeremy Miner's program. Uh, Matt Ryder, the CEO talked about like sending a meme of the, of the skeleton. I don't know if you see like the skeleton on the park bench. Yeah. He's, like yeah. dying. It's like, just, just waiting for you to respond. Right. <laughs> so like, that's one thing that I have uh, as far as like, all, like just to keep in front of your leads. Right. The other thing that I do is every week I go in and I, and I, and I go in, I look at the entire pipeline and I, and I, I'll just go through and start auditing leads. And then I'll go through, I'll tag my salespeople. Hey, what? There's no clear next step. And then I also have a way of, of being able to filter in my CRM to see what leads don't have a task assigned to them. If they don't have a task assigned to them, that's a problem because my team is going in and they have all their tasks for the day that automatically generates in the CRM. So they know, and I'm, and I'm making sure that they're clearing out all of their tasks. So it's, I make it hard for them to fail. That's my goal. I want to make it really, really hard for them to fail on the system side. So that way they could just focus on actually making the calls. They're not organized. Salespeople aren't organized people. So you need to be organized for them. You need to make them organized. Like that, that's the big thing that a lot of people don't focus on is they're just like, oh, I'm going to hire these killers and you're not getting their full potential because you're not helping them where they actually need to be helped. So those are just a couple of things that I do with my sales team specifically to make sure that they are, that they are making the most money that they need to make because if they're making the most money that they need to make, then they're going to be making me the, the, the money as well, you know? Um, and then on that, just like finding out like, what are their goals? Why do they want to hit those goals? If you can make other people money, they, then you will make money in, in return. You know what I mean? Like help enough people get what they want and you'll get what you want. And I believe building a sales team is the best opportunity to do that. Because if you can, if you can train people and equip people with the ability to make a shitload of money, it's just such a win-win. Like I, I can't think of any other scenario that's better where you make money and they make money. You know what I mean? I love that, man. Every part of that was gold. Again, I, I think the systems and processes are really what it keeps you in the game. It keeps you from getting lucky. You have to track those things. You have to have the KPIs in there. I definitely need to get better at that. Another thing you touched on was uh, REI Simply. So I met some of those guys at, um, I think, a Bill Allen's event. Okay. A lot of people get hung up in the CRM. I'm interested to see what was it specifically that you look for in your CRMs? Because uh, I use Podio. And, and like to be honest, if I could turn back the clocks and not use it, I probably wouldn't have because learning that whole system and process to me was, was really hard. Like mm. I got it now, but 
I felt like it took away a lot of time that I should have been doing things that would have been really generating money. And instead I was learning how to use like a freaking CRM program. So right. um, for that part of it, what, what's some, some tips and tricks on finding the right CRM for you? So I guess, you know, you, you mentioned like managing a CRM is non-income producing activity. I would argue to say it is because you're, you're leveraging tech. You know what I mean? Like you're leveraging code to generate you money. So a good CRM, and what, the reason I say that is like a good CRM should make your life easier, not harder. And so it needs to be able to do follow-up for you. It needs to be able to track your KPIs for you so you don't have to. So those are some of the things that I'm going to look for. Like I want my CRM, I want everything to be, to be in place to where I, it's just easy for me to use. Now, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm in seven figure flipping and, and I went to one of their masterminds where we talked about CRMs and there are people that have built like in that group that are building, they're, they're making a million dollars a year off of the unpaid version of Podio. Like, like it, it, the CRM won't make or break you. But what I look for in a, in a CRM is I want it to be able to track my, my key performance indicators. So I want to know, like, you know, when someone calls me, it needs to be able to track where they came from. Did they come from my, my SEO? Did they come from my, my Google ads? Did they come from direct mail? It needs to be able to track that. It needs to be able to track out of how many leads I got, how many of those leads are qualified. Out of those qualified leads, how many of those turn into an appointment, which means that somebody's willing to hear an offer. Out of those appointments, how many of those turned into offers, right? And out of those offers, how many got accepted? Out of those offers that got accepted, how many turned into deals? I need to be able to track all of those metrics. I run all of my business off of a Google spreadsheet as well because it does things that my CRM can't. And the ability to like go back and actually build that stuff in myself is, is something that keeps me in front of my business. Like it keeps me knowing the pulse of my business. But, but the thing I really love about Ari Simply, I know Left Main with Salesforce does this as well, is it tracks your KPIs to a T. So that way you don't have to. It makes it easier for you. Does that make sense? It makes um, total sense, yeah. For anyone that's in your scenario, like in your situation that's, that has a CRM that they're not happy with, and they're like, oh, I just don't want to learn another CRM, I would just find a, a, an employee or a VA, like somebody that could work for you that does know a specific CRM, like because they're out there, right, that have, that have already built, like, you know, I've worked with Ari Simply for seven years, or like, for example, like a, a VA that's done that then they could just do, they could just push over all of your data for you. So like when I bought Dave's company, we weren't able to merge CRMs. I had to go have a VA go in and, and do all of that. If I ever did that, I would pull my hair out, right? Like that would be <laughs> terrible, but like you can leverage things like that. Uh, if, you, if you're in that scenario, kind of where you're in, where you're like, I don't really love Podio, but I don't, I don't also don't want to transfer all my data over. I would just find somebody to do it. And I think, you know, would your would yourself in three years thank you? That's what I would ask. If yourself in three years would thank you, then just do it today. I like that, man. So it sounds like I need to make a call with Ari Simply, see what they have to offer for sure. <laughs> make a call over there. Last yeah, but certainly not least, sorry, I know you're getting tight on time. I appreciate how uh, generous you've been with your day. Gotta talk BJJ, man. What what was it that got you into it? How is it affecting your life? Is it helping you in business, personally, professionally, all all things BJJ? Man. I can tell you, I think what got me into, into jujitsu was just like anybody else that's in the Marine Corps. Like you're just, you're rolling around with your buddies. And then that one kid just knows jujitsu. And, <laughs> and for me, I, I remember that it is 145 pound blue belt. 
And, you know, like we're all like, we're, you know, we're recon Marines. We're all like buffed up. Everybody's doing deadlifts for, and, and getting all jacked up. And then this 145 pound kid comes in and just starts cleaning the freaking mats with us. Like we're all thinking we're badass because we're wrestling and stuff like that. And, and so I was just like, what the heck is like, this guy must be the best jujitsu fighter in the world. Right. And so, so, um, so that like kind of got me learning about it. And then I was like, I just went up to him. I mean, the dude tapped me out. Like, I was like, how did this guy just choke me with his legs? Right. Like, how did that, how did that happen? Right. And so I just went up to him. I was like, Hey man, can you, can you teach me that? Like, is that okay? Like, <laughs> and so, uh, he started teaching me. We just started doing some, um, some classes at the recon at the recon dojo just like some some private stuff um and then so you know i never really had like much time in the marine corps to because to, i probably would have gone like straight there to the ocean side like 10th p and 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 had trained with those guys i just never had any time with the training schedule so as soon as i got out um i you know and i got into mortgage i was like all right this is my opportunity to do that and you know, thinking like, and it's funny, like thinking like, all right, I've done some classes. I might be able to, you know, hold my own, like at the gym. Then you show up as a white belt with no stripes and you just get murdered by <laughs> everyone, right? Other white belts, like people, like you think you're just this tough guy and then you go in. And, and so what it taught me is like the biggest thing that it taught me is just like the delayed gratification for sticking to something. Cause nobody is good at nobody. I shouldn't say nobody. Most people aren't naturally gifted at jujitsu. Like it doesn't matter if you're athletic, it doesn't matter what your background is. Like you come into jujitsu and the playing field is even man. Like you're like, you have to know the technique. And so it started to just make the rest of my life easier because I know that if I just stick with it, if I just keep going, I will get better. And so like, then you, you know, you're a white belt, you pick up your first stripe. Now you just, now you start beating maybe just other white belts. Right. And then you start competing with like, you know, all of the higher white belts and then you start, and then you're a white belt you, maybe you tap your first blue belt and you're like, hold on a second. Like now I'm, I feel myself getting better. I understand the fundamentals. I'm not getting I'm not getting tapped by all of the purple belts, right? I'm holding my own. I'm going the entire round with, with, with the brown belts. And, and of course, you're always, like, always going to get crushed. There's always going to be someone better than you, just like in business. No matter where you're at, there's going to be someone better than you, and you can learn from those people. Like, don't be competitive. Ask those people for help. You know what I mean? So I love going with, with the people that are going to crush me. Because one, I'm always going to learn something. Like I'd rather go roll with the higher belt. I'm always going to learn something from them. They control the pace of the fight. And then being around better people, you get better. So I've taken that same thing over in business. Don't be intimidated by the people that are much better. Don't be intimidated by them. Learn from them. Like, and most of the time, like they're just, they're there to help. Like, and that's something that I love about jujitsu specifically is, you know, the brown belts and the black belts, like they, they're just, they're there to help the, the, the younger belts because they were there, they were there as well. And so people in business are like that. And I think people are intimidated to ask, but if you ask somebody higher up in business, like they're, they'll typically do the exact same thing. So man, it really has changed my life and just made everything in my life easier. Once I started getting that discipline of showing up to class every day and just getting after it. I think that that's incredible, man. You bring up a good point about that. Like if you look back at guys in business, if they're like newer and they're still insecure and you call or ask them for help, they might just flex on how great they are or focus more on like maybe making you feel crappy about how you're not in a good place. Like similar, like if I go and I roll with like a, like I, I rolled with a white belt the other day, we were just like, like rotating and they were like, okay, you roll with him. 
the bell rang and he just tried to like kill me. And I was like, I know he probably thinks that that that's what I was looking for, but I was like, dude, it's six in the morning. Like, I don't, I don't need this. I don't want this. You know what I mean? But like, they force you into that. But I also don't match it with like, you want to go hard. I'm going to go hard. It's like, you're going to get sloppy because you're going hundred percent. You're going to make a mistake. Right. And I only need you to make a mistake for a half a second. And then I'm yeah. going to wind up on top. And when, even when I am on top, I'm not going to be a dick and then like grind my, like, I'm still just going to go, Hey, look, this is what, why I was able to do that. And you right. kind of talk to him and you learn because I don't, I, I know that, I don't need to prove anything like they're young. They're trying to come up and I just, I'm just going to try and give them something that I wish somebody would have given me at that time. And yeah. the same thing with like, even, uh, I just, my, my buddy, uh, Jeremy trains with, uh, Dominic Cruz and Jocko goes over in victory. Mm-hmm. And, um, this guy, Eric Urisk was on my podcast and he was talking about how Dominic Cruz told him like, Hey man, you're never going to be a great fighter because you're too worried about winning every one of your matches in the gym. He goes, and mm. when you're, everything has to be a win because your ego is so big, you're not really putting yourself in these positions to expose your weaknesses and then work mm. on them and grow. And because of that, you're going to limit yourself. And I think it's the same thing with business. You know, like there's always a certain ego of like, I've done this so long. I'm so good in business. Awesome. But then I get on with a guy like you and I'm like, Hey man, like truth be told, here's where like, I just, I suck and I could use some help. Like help me with my half guard, help me with my KPIs, help me with my, you know what I mean? Like everybody has those things and those things yeah. change. And I think finding people that are willing to help you not beat you up about that, but help you do better and feel good about like, where, Hey, you're showing up today. You're making the call. You're in the gym. You're showing up to the class. Like keep coming here. Just do a little bit of this, a little bit less of this. There's, I'm never going to be a triangle guy. I'm not six, two at long legs. You know what I mean? But that's okay. <laughs> There's other things I can do. I right. work on my guillotines. I work on my chokes. So again, I, I love the transitions for the student side and for the leader side in business from jiu-jitsu. Right. I think it's a great point. Yeah, man. And the, the the part that you just mentioned about, I had to write that down about lowering your ego to get better because a lot of times your ego gets in the way of you actually getting better. And so that's so great. And like, you could just, the one thing that I've always just seen uh, with, with black belts in general is I've never met a black belt that is unbalanced in other parts of their life. I just feel like in order to receive your black belt, you, it's, not, it's not just about your jujitsu. You're well-rounded in all areas of your life. Every black belt that I've met, at, at least in my experience, has been a good father, a good husband, right? Like disciplined with their work everything like everyone that i've met so far has been completely well-rounded and so it just says a lot about the sport itself and and it does carry over in every aspect of life so just really awesome point man good stuff man well i definitely look forward to sharing the match with you at some point you got great jiu-jitsu in california i'm trying to get parade to go over in missouri over there i think you actually might have just started looking at a place man but anytime we're in the same state or maybe the same country definitely Heck looking yeah. forward to uh, sharing the match with you man grabbing some food grabbing a drink this has been awesome, dude. You bring your A-game to everything you do. This has been no difference. You definitely brought your A-game to this podcast today. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Oh, man, just go out there and, and, and start taking action, man. Just like showing up to your first class, you get crushed, you're going to feel sore. Like the same thing is going to happen to you in business every single day, man. You're, you're going to get excited because you have a deal that you think is about to close. It's your first deal, and then it falls out, and a lot of people give up. Like like if, if you could just – Treat business like you treat the mats, knowing that you're going to get crushed every day, but you are going to get better every single time you get crushed, then you'll be successful. There's just no way around it. That's all I got, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Now, this is great, dude. I was really excited to connect. I was looking forward to having you on. I knew it would be an easy conversation, and it definitely was, man. So you are welcome back anytime, sir. For people (laughs) listening, how do they connect with you? How do they find you? How do they reach out to you? 
Yeah, the best way would be probably through Instagram at first, uh, John Lalonde 22, J-O-N-L-A-L-L-A-N-D-E 22. Um, other than that, you could find me on Facebook. You could find me in like the From Military to Millionaire group. I'm pretty, pretty active in there. And uh, I, I have a goal to help 100 people this year for free. So if you are somebody that's in real estate and you're looking for mentoring, um, I'm doing free 30-minute calls. Um, and if you want to just, I'll, what I'll do, Nick, is I'll just uh, drop a link to my assistant and anybody that's interested, they can click on it and they can book a call with me. Awesome stuff, man. I very much appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners do as well. I will put all those links directly in the show notes for this show so you can go on there and click. John Lon, ladies and gentlemen, you've been awesome, dude. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.